Hi, this is Jean Gallagher, Discover Rising Tides, and welcome to the show. And I'm this was really impactful for me. And talking to Amanda Carraza with Operation Surf, every time every time she spoke about the subjects, it gave me chills. What they do, helping veterans and veterans' families overcoming the challenges that they have through surfing and the power of the water, the power of the salt water, and being challenged. It's it's without words. So take a listen. If you know of anybody that has the ability to donate to their program, all the veterans that show up do not pay. And the the program is run by donations. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jean Gallagher, founder of Discover Rising Tides, and welcome to Discover Rising Tides, how the outside makes the inside better, where we explore the importance of the outdoors and maintaining life balance. Through this series, we'll be talking with women business owners to understand their journey. And as always, we start with Denise Stagall. Hi, Denise. How are you? Hey, Jean. How you doing? I'm good. Wonderful. And our we start with our segment, Healthy Living, Happy Life. And Denise is a best-selling author of two great books, curator of Living Healthy List and Healthy Lifestyle Coach. So this, this topic this month is mindfulness and stress management. We don't have enough time to record everything that we need to talk about. No, it's so true. Um, mindfulness is a really important part of uh, life, you know, not just with stress, but for so many other uh, aspects in life. Mm-hmm. Um and, and truly, both of them, the mindfulness piece and the stress management piece, um, they really are essential pieces for us to manage so we can actually reach the goals that we are striving for, whether it's, you know, healthy living, um, eating right, exercising, being outside, you know, enjoying things in our our, our daily life, in our family, all of those things. Um we all kind of clump everything into one, you know, and, you know, life is busy, life is stressful, life is hectic. Um, and then mindfulness is over here and everything else is, you know, kind of in, in you know, in our face. Um, but I want to just kind of start or, or step back for a second, just to kind of give stress a, a definition. So what is it? You know, obviously we feel stress, you know, we feel it in, you know, tense of our body, you know, our teeth, um, I know I do. I clench my teeth. Um, but it really, it's it's your brain and your body's response to any kind of change, any kind of challenge um, or demand on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, and obviously it's our, you know, it's, it's our na- natural defense, our body's natural defense um, to those things, which of course, you know, we know as flight or um, fight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stress and flight and fight are the same thing. Like they, they, they go hand in hand when you have, st- when you start to feel stress, that flight and fight, flight or fight, um, hormones, you know, start to get flooded. And in our daily life nowadays, that's kind of the norm. We sit in that flight or fight response, um, And I just wanted to, you know, to to remind people what that really is. Like there's stuff going on. There's challenge. There's change. I mean, nobody loves change, right? Um, And so even the smallest uh, challenges or the smallest change can uh, add stress to our already full bucket. So that's where the mindfulness piece comes in. 
So a couple of thoughts that, that are kind of hitting me. One is I think that the, our stress levels build on top of each other. Don't we, we end up getting like a false bottom when you operate in a certain stress level and then you have more that's added and more that's added. It's almost as if once you add more, that becomes the new bottom. And, and then all of a sudden it just topples and and you just don't remember what it was like not to have it but then sometimes you almost need it to function more which the need is in quotes i think it's it's really strange how that works and you're developing this level of need for stress for motivation and it's just this catch 22 Yes. Now there's different types of stress. Like you said, you know, like we said, you know, that stress, that accumulated stress and you're right. Every, you know, if we don't manage the stress, so here we are, you know, this is where our stress is today. If we don't manage that and something else happens, right. We're just adding to it. And that's the kind of stress that's actually, that's dangerous type of stress. Mm -hmm. That's the type of stress that is um, you know your your blood pressure uh, starts to rise, your heart rate starts to rise, um, blood sugar levels, and not just rise and then go back down. They just continue to rise until those levels actually lead to both physical, emotional, and mental distress. Mm-hmm. So you're right. That's the that's that's the bad type of stress. But yes, stress can be a good thing. Um, for, like you said, you know, for motivation, um, it can be, you know, um, call it a catalyst for growth because mm-hmm. we need a little bit of stress in our lives to, you know, to get us from you know, everything is comfortable. Everything is good. Everything is happy, 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 joy, joy to get to that next level of, um, like, like, um, whatever it might be that next event that we want to, mm-hmm. um, we want to go to, or that next, um, goal we want to reach, um, that I think that's where that good stress comes in is it, it does give us the motivation, you know, think about when you go to the gym, you know, um, you're stressing your body when you pick up a weight over your head, that is good stress because that is building muscle, you know, mm-hmm. so you become a stronger person. So in that respect, that kind of stress is good. Um, that's also releasing the good hormones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which helps us to manage that stress, this level of stress before it keeps getting added onto. So as we're, you know, doing those exercises, you know, we're working out, we're, you know, running outside, whatever it might be. That's how we manage the bad stress is Mm -hmm. with this, with this good stress. Um, The other thing I think of when we, we, when I think of uh, the good stress is, you know, learning something new. Um, I'm going to take a course uh, in March, just found it uh, the other day, uh, a friend of mine, it was on her Facebook, Facebook page. And I went, you know what, I don't know anything about that. I want to learn that because I know it's something that will help both my husband um, in our workouts. So I'm a little nervous and the stress, you know, that's, that's good stress. Like, I don't know anything about this, you know, you know, am I going to be, you know, the only one in the class that doesn't know, you know, am I going to be able to pick it up? Am I going to learn? You know, those are, that's that, that good type of stress. Um, And, you know, that your confidence level 
also increases when you, you know, put yourself through that type of good stress and you succeed. Even if succeed is like, you know, incremental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so something that just came to me is we, we talked previously to Cherie Walson and she was talking about setting boundaries and saying no without guilt. And I encourage anybody to go back and listen to that show because this is a really, I think this is a really important component to being able to control the stress that keeps getting added on the, the obligations that we continue to take when, when we really hit our max, but still say yes, because we think we're supposed to. To me, yes, that's absolutely a boundary. And I'm even going to go before the boundary. Before you can create those boundaries, you need to know what your core values are, what's important to Mm. you. Um, And when you know what those are, it's a lot easier to set boundaries and then say no. So for example, um, and this is just one that popped into my head, um, I I support a nonprofit here in Rochester. And mm-hmm. it's it's the one that I've been supporting for years. It's the one that makes sense to me. I know the people. I know people who have um, benefited from it. Um, I've actually worked there. I was I volunteered there and worked there for 10 years uh, when I first moved to Rochester. So this is something that I believe in. And that to me is, you know, my one of my core values is to support you know, that, that this organization and um, it's gift of life transplant house. Mm. And so when other people, you know, send me uh, things in the mail or call me for donations or volunteering at these other places, Mm -hmm. um, I feel very comfortable now saying, saying no, because Mm. I'm not connected to them. I, they're not in my, they're, they're outside of my boundary. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those two things um, are are essential. Figuring out what those values are and those things that those things that are important to you, setting boundaries around them, and then yes, when we set those boundaries and we say no, there is no stress there. There is no guilt there mm-hmm. we've already decided, made that decision um, about what's important. And I think, and I would agree. Yes, we put a lot of stress on ourselves because we don't set those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important too, that when you have made that decision and you have said no, is not to second guess yourself and go, well, maybe I should have. No, and, and, and that just adds another level from of should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody benefits from should because, you know, and once you say no, you know, say and saying no gracefully, that's, you know, that's that, mm-hmm. you know, that's okay. Saying no gracefully, but then being able to move on. Um, mm-hmm. without the guilt. And I think that it's it's true. Once you have set that boundary, the guilt part um, doesn't play, it, it doesn't play a part any longer. Yeah. And so you had mentioned mindfulness too. And I, I struggle with this word because I think it's overused and underdefined. And, yes. and it seems like it's a TikTok thing, right? I, I'm not on TikTok, but it should be. It's probably a TikTok thing. Everybody has mindfulness or I'm doing this mindfulness practice. And, and it seems very, those comments to me quite often seem very superficial because I don't know what they're doing and I don't know why it's making a difference, right? So, so what are the whys behind 
what really, how do we define what mindfulness is and what it does? Okay. So mindfulness is a practice that encourages you to keep your thoughts and actions in the present moment. That is what thought, uh, sorry, that is what mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we get mindfulness and meditation confused. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness means that I am sitting here mindfully speaking with you. I am looking at you. I am talking to you. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not thinking about other things that, you know, that I have to do later. Mindfulness is truly being in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think of, mo I talk about mindfulness very often when I'm working with someone, when it comes to um, their eating habits, you know, eating mindfully and what that can, how that can change um, how you eat, how much you eat, how much you enjoy. So mindfully eating a meal means actually sitting there at the table, no TV, no, you know, no, no telephone, no tick, no TikTok. <laughs> I don't do TikTok either. So it's kind of no. like one more thing. So mindfulness is truly, you know, sitting there and enjoying the time, you know, what does this food taste like? What is the texture? What does it smell like? What are the aromas? What are the nuances of the uh, the seasonings and the spices? And really tasting food. Mm. When you're having a conversation, having coffee with someone, being engaged in the conversation and not thinking ahead. Oh, um, you know, as you as you're speaking, I'm not thinking, well, I'm this is what I'm going to say next. I'm listening to you, uh, what you're, what you have to say and really understanding it before I can, uh, respond. I think that's a really important moment and mo thought moment. And I want to stop you for a second and say, and say that again, because it is, I catch myself doing that too, right? So you're, you're in a conversation with somebody and the thing that you're doing is thinking about what you're going to say next instead of really paying attention to what's being said. Right, because how many times have you done that? And then the comment that you are going to make doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> A couple. <laughs> you know, and then we're kind of like- It might have happened before like, once or twice. <laughs> right, but then, and then the person feels bad because then they're thinking, well, you're not even, you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and occasionally I've had this conversation- <laughs> I've had this conversation with Mark um, because uh, Mark, Mark can talk circles around me, um, not in a bad way. He just has a lot on, you know, he has a lot on his mind. And so, you know, he'll be talking, you know, he'll, he'll be talking about something and I'll have either a question or a comment and he continues his, his piece. And then by the time he's finished, what I was going to ask him before Seems was so like four conversations ago <laughs> right it doesn't make sense anymore um that's also truly but that's also the other person not necessarily being as mindful in that conversation to allow the other person to ask a question mm -hmm. so in the, so in this way mindfulness it, it works both ways mm. in this type of conversation mm. I think it's great. And, and what's interesting too, and for our people that are listening and really want to get more information, make sure you reach out to Denise because, you know, she, as a, you know, a healthy, healthy living coach, you're thinking Denise's mantra is eat real food. 
but this is also just a very important component to the full picture. So um, listen more to Denise, get in touch with her, and we can talk about this, these two things for a very long time, but this is just a short snippet, but well, we should dive deeper into this one. We shall. Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Jean Gallagher, founder of Discover Rising Tides, and welcome to Discover Rising Tides, How the Outside Makes the Inside Better, where we explore the importance of the outdoors and maintaining life balance. And through this series, we talk with women business owners to understand their journey. Today's guest is Amanda Carraza. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jean. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm really excited. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. This is going to be a great conversation. There's so much to talk about. And let me give a little bit of your bio and then we'll get into it. So Amanda is a native of the central coast of California, one of my favorite places, by the way. And she runs a small nonprofit alongside with her husband, Van Carraza, who founded the organization through his own journey of recovery, the nonprofit Operation Surf serves wounded military through the healing powers of the ocean by restoring hope, renewing purpose and revitalizing community. Amanda has been the operations been with Operation Surf since its inception, witnessing its evolution into the powerful organization it is today. From humble beginnings, the profound impact it had on her own life fueled a dedication and passion for supporting the organization's mission and future. Now serving as the executive director, director, Amanda's focus is to bring the organization's vision to fruition and her strategic initiatives have proven instrumental in its success and her comprehensive involvement have afforded her the profound insights into every aspect of the organization. She takes great pride in her team and collective support of the mission and residing in the picturesque city of San Luis Obispo. Amanda's greatest joy lies in being a mother of her daughter, Kaya, and raising her among the compassionate individuals who make Operation Surf possible. While Amanda enjoys the challenges of steering the organization's growth, her true fulfillment comes to hearing the profound humbling stories of the heroes she encounters. She wholeheartedly believes in the mission and the unparalleled experiences of the ocean and natural therapy. That is so important. I wanted to read it all because what you do is just incredible. And I thought it was a fantastic intro to get us started. So let's see where we should start. So tell us, tell us how you got to where you are. And, and then we're really going to get into Operation Surf, Surf because of what it does. And it's so amazing. Oh, well, okay. I don't even know where to begin. Um, how did I get to Operation Surf is, I would say, uh, divine, probably. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't wake up and think this is what I'm going to do with my life, I think, as most people do. But um, I, I can't. So I've been with Operation Surf for about 13 years now. Um, mm -hmm. When I came to it, I was in a kind of a phase of life where I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. I wanted to go off and be a helicopter pilot. I kind of just didn't know what to do with life. Um, I was raised here in the Central Coast uh, by my mother. She struggled in and out with addiction. And um, so life was pretty rocky growing up. But um, it doesn't mean I didn't have a lot of beauty in it. I had different seasons of life, um, you know, horses, nature, adventures, but also a lot of trauma in there. Um, so mm. before Operation Surf, it was kind of finding, 
you know, where do I belong in the world? Uh, where do I kind of fit in? What can I do? Um, I had worked a lot of different jobs leading up to it of random things, but for the kind of the steady part of it was in law offices doing legal assistant type work. And uh, that was just not me. <laughs> I was not designed to do that. <laughs> I learned a lot of wonderful tools in my young mm -hmm. age there from that. I'm so grateful for it. Um, but, you know, I think my heart wanted something different. So my kind of plan was to go off and be a helicopter pilot. And um, that's when divine intervention happened. Um, and I ended up helping my now husband with his little surf school one summer uh, to carry me through before heading up to become a pilot. And while I was there helping him, um, he had this thing happening and he was putting together this surf surfing program for wounded military guys coming from a hospital and you know he was trying to do it with you know an, another couple helping him and I just said well I can help you organize this you know you need some help organizing stuff I've got you know <laughs> some tools I'll help you and we put it together and then I got to experience it and it completely just blew my mind and changed my world and getting to meet people who are walking through massive challenges like losing their legs or spinal injuries or, you know, just unimaginable life altering experiences and watching them overcome something and find joy and have fun and get to just see the insides of their world where, you know, they're not helpless and they really can do a lot. And it was, it was such an eye opener. I was pretty young. I think I was 22, 21, 22 at the time. And, um, after that program, I had a choice. I could leave or I could stay. And in that kind of moment, I went, if I leave, who's going to help, you know, keep it going. And, mm -hmm. um, and if I stay, could I make a difference? And I decided to stay and I never left. <laughs> and the rest <laughs> is history, but um, I, did, I did decide to stay and um, eventually fell in love with my husband and we became a duo of um, just doing doing this life. So in a, in a nutshell, that's how I got there. It's amazing. And isn't it interesting how something finds you Mm -hmm. to help you through your struggles growing up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And you wouldn't have expected, if you looked for something, you would never have found this. Oh, never, never in a million years. No, no. And it, 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 it has taught me so much. Uh, I like in every aspect of life, you know, leadership, working business, how to be, responsible. I mean, from a, as a kid, you know, yeah, well, I was, I was a kid, you know, being, um, making decisions and making mistakes and learning from it and how to kind of navigate all these things. I, I never got a college degree and I carried mm -hmm. that as this belief that I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do it mm -hmm. and I didn't deserve to be here. And, you know, I don't know at what point, maybe a decade in, I finally went, you know what? I think, <laughs> I think I can do it. <laughs> I don't think I need this degree. I would still love to have it, but you know, I, I eventually at some point I let that go and just said, you know what? I'm learning a different way and that's okay. Um, 
I just have to, I have to live into it and appreciate the mentors I've had along the way and the, in the opportunities that have been given to me and the different, you know, people and experiences I've learned from. So. Mm -hmm. And honestly, our, our society says you should have this piece of paper, Mm -hmm. but the piece of paper doesn't teach you the business and life skills that you've learned in the business. Absolutely. Yes. There's nothing like it. Hands-on is is hands on. Know, still recommend a degree, but, <laughs> but hands on, there's nothing that the, beats it. <laughs> the school of hard knocks works all the time. <laughs> yeah, it does. And my husband too, he's school of hard knocks, uh, you know, so you can imagine the blind leading the blind. No, just, just kidding. We, we, we did it. We figured mm-hmm. it out. <laughs> well, you know, usually when you're starting business, it is the blind leading the blind can be very common because it's a passion business. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that really creates an, an incredible foundation. Yeah. So what started, what was it for your husband that drove him for to, you, know, you can have a surf school and teach everybody, but really what drove him to support the veteran community? Yeah. So it started out with, um, his, his recovery um, from drugs and alcohol, it, it led him down a path of being service to others and in being mm-hmm. a service to others, you giving back. And um, his kind of gift he has is, is surfing and teaching. He's like, it, he is incredible uh, in the water and teaching and he just has a knack for it. And he was helping, he was running and helping different surf schools and he really clicked with youth. Um, like troubled youth, mm-hmm. because that was also his background. And someone recommended, hey, you should start a nonprofit and you should, you know, help at-risk youth. And he went, okay, you know, and at the time he just had a surf school. So he started up a little nonprofit and um, it kind of sat for a minute. And then he had an opportunity to help military and he said, let's mm-hmm. do it. And then from there, it just, it was a whirlwind of, you know, wow, this is actually really powerful. This can help people. Mm -hmm. This is working. I'm seeing it before my eyes. I can't stop doing it. And he is like vision, dream. I want to save the world. (laughs) So it just, that's kind of how it started. And, um, and it's developed over the years and it has grown into what it is today and become, you know, refined. We still refine, we still change, we still learn, we still Mm -hmm. adapt, um, and still have big, big dreams of what, you Mm -hmm. know, where to go from here. But, and yeah, that's kind of how it started. So Operation Surf is the name of the program. Yes. And, and so how does it work? So we start at the beginning. Okay. So we've got a couple different models of programs. Um, Our most known kind of common model is a week long program. And we host uh, veterans in active duty from all over the States. Uh, Some of our programs work with specific, you know, like military buildings, some work with specific hospitals, some are an open application process. It just kind of depends on that year. And the week is designed with different elements of recovery. A lot of it is based in my husband's kind of tools and knowledge he's learned through the years, but also just in what we've learned works and doesn't. Uh, And we host um, about, it's about eight participants, plus we bring back alumni. So there's about 12 people total. We found that's the sweet spot of how many people you can kind of have an intimate group with. 
and mm-hmm. um, and we host them. So we cover all costs. We pay for their flights, hotels, lodging, meals, everything. It's no cost to them. And we just kind of show them when they walk away, we say, what are the things you did here that helped change your life? You got outside, you talked with people, you moved your body, you ate good food, you shared what was going on, you weren't alone, you got vulnerable, all of these things that make you feel like you're feeling today, you can go home and find that back at home. And um, Mm -hmm. really practice connection, we practice speaking, we do something called highs and lows every night where you just go around, you share what was a high point, what was a low point of your day. And it's just that act of tapping into yourself and speaking to sharing it. You know, we don't give advice. It's not a, it's not a counseling session. It's just tapping in, sharing and going, Hey, that person went through it too. I'm not alone. And um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a gist of what we do in a week along with surfing. So surfing is a whole, the whole kind of um, deal, you know, it's, it's the adventure, it's the fun, it's the excitement, it's the nerves, it's, uh, everything. And really the individuals that come have to lean on and trust our instructors to guide them through this mm-hmm. experience. Uh, the ocean is beautiful and powerful and scary and peaceful and all these things in one. And if you don't go in it without a guide, or, you know, if you don't understand it or have knowledge around it and go in it without mm-hmm. a guide, it can be a really bad experience. And so mm-hmm. the right kind of crew is really important to us of who's going to walk them through this experience safely, you know, push them to their limits, help them set goals, overcome their those goals, and that builds self-efficacy. And at the end of the week, when you can walk away and go, wow, I was terrified of that. I overcame, mm-hmm. I conquered, I had so much fun. I have these incredible photos to remind me of it. And I have a community and relationships to to connect with after. Um, it's like the magic, the secret sauce. <laughs> so that's our week long. And most people, and most people that are coming to you, they don't have surfing. They don't even have water experience at times, right? Correct. Yeah. So a lot mm-hmm. of people come from inland. So they're, you know, landlocked, nowhere near the ocean. Some people have never seen the ocean before. Um, some people, you know, maybe grew up near the ocean and haven't been back. Mm-hmm. So that particular program really helps people who are not near the ocean. And our goal is not that they go home and become a surfer. That's not that's not the reality. The reality is they go home and they have a community, they have tools, they understand the impact of getting outside and in nature and near water. You can go to a lake, you can take a shower, you can anything. Water is so healing to your body. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay if they don't go home and ever surf again, but we want to change their life, not just their week. So if they go home and they mm-hmm. go, I'm going to stay connected. I'm going to get outside. I'm going to eat some good food. I'm going to call somebody and I'm going to be of service. I want to help the next person. So that's um, the really the heart of it versus, you know, having them become a good surfer. I think what you said, it's really impactful is you're not just changing a week. You're giving them the tools to change their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the big one for us. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. have created, you know, it's been a journey to figure out how do we operate after care? How do we stay connected? How do we like help somebody uh, on their journey after they go home? Mm-hmm. 
because everybody wants to come back, you know, and if we had a millions and millions of dollars, they could come back every day. Um, but, you know, it's with the resources limited, you know, how mm -hmm. can we create it to where they can stay connected even back home? So we've created a uh, what we call the canteen. It's our online program and we connect with them every Monday. We have coffee with the team over a Zoom call. So our alumni from all over get to connect. We'll do topics. We'll do check ins. We'll do, you know, whatever kind of we we feel like if somebody's having a hard time, we rally around them and support them and keep that connection mm -hmm. going. And uh, we do it again on Thursday nights. We do like a highs and lows so people can connect at night, just like they did during the program and check in. And um, and then we created alumni uh, opportunities for them to come back and be something called a veteran support. They can come back uh, to a program and they can walk the next veteran through the program. So sharing their experience, kind of just being that guide, being that support, you know, peer to peer is huge. When someone can say, I understand what you've been through and I've been through it through too, here's what I did to, to move out of it is it's way more powerful than, than us who, you know, are civilians mm. who have been through that. So. Absolutely. And so when you have the, 12, um, 12 people a week. How many crew supports that? Um, so it's a pretty big crew. Um, I would say we we're you know, like a pod of about 20 to 25. We've got, um, mm -hmm. each, you know, we've got surf instructors, which kind of pair up with the crew and we got water support lifeguards. We've got our staff. So we've got our, you know, our communications, our logistics, our, you know, everything. So it's a, it's a crew. There's about 25 of us that, that mob around as a little, little pod, we call it a family, really. Could you have ever imagined that in the beginning, it would become this, this, this big, this, such a, an engine of help? No, no. Uh, I think, you know, I probably my husband did. I mean, he and his probably mind, we're not, we're not even close yet. So for him, yeah, a long way to go. Yeah, I think I, we we are very very opposites. I think that's what makes us tick. But um, mm -hmm. no, I I never would have imagined it of what it is today in the different ways it has grown and and I think the reality of how critical it is helpful to people. I mean, literally, we have people saying, "You saved my life." We have people, mm -hmm. you know, calling, we're intervening with keeping their life. I mean, it's, it's so incredibly critical that I didn't realize and not that it's just our program programs like this, mm -hmm. just the, the, the services like this are so critical because what is given to them is, is not very helpful. And so I never would have thought that the impact was going to be what it was um, because in the beginning, you know, it's, it's this high of, wow, you know, but then when you start to see the long-term effects and the long-term relationships and, you know, people who become your family, you know, years and years and years, and you're watching them grow, you're watching them change, you're watching them, you know, go back to school, get a new job, get engaged, get married, have babies. I mean, you're just, you're literally watching a life change over the course of time. Mm. And then when you do it over and over, you know, like this new person coming in, you're like, I know what you're up for. You're, you're about to get your world rocked <laughs> in a good way and you know, welcome aboard. So yeah, couldn't have imagined it uh, back then. And, and I'm excited to think about, you know, what 10 more years is going to do, what it'll look like. Mm. 
and the number of lives that you'll touch during that time. Yeah. So water is powerful. Mm. So powerful. And just being, just being outside is powerful. But when you toss in the water and the waves and the salt and, and throw in the challenges of being uncomfortable in a safe environment, it has to make a difference. And what do you, how do you see during those seven days, somebody evolve from beginning to completing the week? Mm, yeah, we, oh, so one of our favorite things is like the arrival day versus departure day. So mm-hmm. arrival day, you know, it, it, it can be overwhelming for people and you know, it's, it's a bit of anxiety. These people are going into a whole new situation, meeting people that they don't know. Maybe they struggle with isolation. They don't, they're like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I had the courage to get here. So, um, usually kind of quiet, reserved, um, Back when we worked a lot with the hospital, when they had a lot of injured veterans coming through who were recently wounded, there was a lot of anger Mm. of, you know, I don't want to be doing this. I'm just coming on a rehabilitation program that I have to come to and, you know, hats down, hoods on, you know, Mm -hmm. just a lot of um, disconnect. And then we say Mm -hmm. the magic happens around day three, you start to see just a whole new person smiles laughter mm. their shoulders are back they're having fun they're making jokes they're comfortable and then by the farewell it's like this really deep connection there's you know heartfelt tears share, we share about we have a farewell ceremony because um ceremony is important opening ceremony is mm. important and closing ceremony is important and even in the middle, we have a ceremony to honor who, those who have fallen, who we've lost. Mm. So it's, it's ceremony is part of, you know, a process that you can engage in that helps healing. So closing ceremony is um, usually really emotional. There's tears, there's, you know, a sharing of like, what did this do for them? So you get to hear it straight from their mouth of like, what did this do for them? And, and, and what's next? You know, what do what is next mm-hmm. when they go home? Because going home is a crash. It's, you know, you go on a high, mm-hmm. you have so much fun, life feels good. And then you have to go back home and you have to go back into, you know, everything you left. And um, it's your choice of how are you going to face it when you go home, knowing what you just overcame, knowing what you just accomplished, how you got through the waves during the week, how are you going to get through the waves mm-hmm. at home at life? Mm. And that, that I would think would be one of the hardest challenges to be, to make sure they're reminding themselves of how many, what amazing things they did for seven days, but also not reflect on what they no longer have mm-hmm. that yeah. and, and how important it is for you all to create the connections for after you're creating a community, but you're also creating a way for them to stay connected mm-hmm. and to continually remind themselves why they need to con- have hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We do something called a, uh, a board, we call it the boardroom and we do a zoom mm-hmm. call prior to them coming um, so that it breaks the ice. They get to kind of meet the individuals, meet the crew And then we do a boardroom call about a week and a half post-program to make sure we're checking in, Mm -hmm. how's it going. And it's mandatory. It's part of the program. They commit to it. So, um, and usually a lot of them just jump straight into the camp. 
online platform and stay connected. And we have a big group, we have group chats. I mean, we've tried, we've tried everything to stay connected and everybody learns different ways. Everybody communicates different ways. So group chats and Facebook groups and, <laughs> you know, Zoom calls, all the ways we can stay connected. Um, it's important. It's important. We had a, um, we had a study done on us in, I think it wrapped up in 2019. I could be totally wrong, but um, it was about a three-year study by Dr. Russell Crawford, and he studied the effects of um, ocean therapy on veterans with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And he did it all on our program, on all of our participants. So they did a study. Uh, it was before they came. Uh, they answered mm -hmm. all these different kind of surveys. 30, uh, sorry, immediately after they left the program and then 30 days post-program. So we could see kind of where were they marking prior, where are they marking right after, and then where were they marking 30 days later. And one of the remarkable things was the self-efficacy, even 30 days, it obviously rose during the week, but then 30 days later, it was high still. So the mm. way he explained it was, you know, self-efficacy is this kind of a feeling of instead of the world is happening to me, I'm happening in my world, you know, and mm. so that gives them the confidence and the kind of this boost to go home and get the resources they need. If they need to go do therapies or, you know, kind of face those challenges back home, it's like a shot of it, you know, here's some self-efficacy to go home and get through and get started on a path. So, um, it gives, you know, the hope is that they're, they can take that high, even if there's a crash and they can still, you know, mm -hmm. sail with it. Do you find that the participants, um, for that, any particular week, stay in contact with each other to support each other through too? Yes, a lot, a whole lot stay in contact. So mm -hmm. we, um, that was, that's, that's the whole kind of vision of that Van foresees is the wider we create this net of people supporting people, the, the bigger it's going to spread and it won't fall back on just, you know, for staff people to, to be the mm -hmm. support people, you know, we, we can't, it doesn't function that way. It's the community helping the community um, and mm -hmm. each other helping each other. And not, not only does that help the individual, but I heard a saying it's, you know, the individual supports the community and then the community supports the individual. Mm -hmm. So it's this mm -hmm. relationship of you give in and you get back. And some people choose, choose to, you know, go on, you know, some people don't stay connected and that's okay too. We've had to like, learn that, you know, Hey, you can't, you can't force people to stay connected. You may have been impactful in that moment and maybe that's all they needed and they're still going, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe somebody, you just, you can't force somebody to, to change their life or to make different choices. You can only stand strong and be a pillar for them. And if they need it, maybe in a year or in a month or in a week, you're always there as a constant to reach out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I would also think too, if, if they're experiencing the same highs and lows during the week and the same challenges and overcoming the challenges and hearing each other share, it creates a bond that that's been missing mm -hmm. after service because there's a bond that happens during service. Mm -hmm. And then, and then this is filling, filling some of that gap mm -hmm. in a very positive way. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Family is, we call it a family because it's like a little family that 
that forms. And then they get to be part of the the big, you know, family once they become alumni. So it's a huge, a huge network they get to be adopted in. And yeah, and they've all been through this, you know, the hard times and they understand it. And then they've all been able to experience this amazing experience together. So then they have that to connect on. And um, it's really beautiful to see. It's it's such an honor to see, really. Mm-hmm. So something I really want to focus on is, and you said it quickly as we're going through, but I want I want people to hear this and understand how can they help this community as well? Because you're, you're, what you're saying is that these 12 people that are showing up for the week adventure and learning and process are showing up at no cost, including travel. So somebody has to pay the bill. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Cause there's so, not Amanda paying the bill. <laughs> yeah. So it's about $5,000 per participant. So we have a lot of different models of how we raise the money for these individuals. Um, We have corporate sponsorships. So if a business wants to sponsor, they can, you know, do a trade where we put their logo on our rash guard and they get exposure as well. And it's a fun way for businesses to get involved. Usually businesses that sponsor will also come and volunteer. So they get to see firsthand, you know, their team gets to come and see what their company is, you know, doing and making an impact with, um, we write grants. So if you have a, a grant or if you know somebody or know of a grant um, that you think would be a good fit for us, you know, it's always, we're always exploring different grant opportunities. Um, foundations are incredible. They are our biggest source of support and finding foundations that believe in our mission and want to get involved with our mission and building those long-term relationships are, are so critical to our growth. Um and then we sell merchandise. It's a small income, but you can always buy some merch on our website, operationsurf.org. Um, and then um, the last kind of avenue of income is we do fundraising events. So we'll host golf tournaments or fun runs, um, things like that. So, you know, participating in those always helps um you know, helps boost our income. But online, anybody can donate on our website at operationsurf.org. Every single dollar is impactful. It helps the mission. And we always, Van loves to say, no matter how big or small you give, you are part of the outcome because it doesn't matter if you're giving in a way of volunteering, if you're giving in a way of donating food, if you're giving in a way of donating money, you are all part of the outcome and everything is critical to make it work. So it is a, you know, I wish we could do it uh, just without money and make it flow and uh, run it every day. But yeah, no, it takes money to, to make these programs happen make the programs happen well otherwise you would we have to require that the participants pay something and then that would exclude quite often the people that need it the most correct yes yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah we decided early on in the nonprofit that that would be one factor is it's always going to be free always always going to be free yeah we have Mm -hmm. um one thing we do want to develop is alumni retreats where they can help you know, they can help fund it if they want to go on a retreat together, but that's a different, a different story. But the four our programs for participants, they are all free. Mm, just amazing. And so where does this happen? 
We operate in San Luis Obispo, California, so beautiful little Avila Beach, and in all of our kind of coastal uh, oceans around here, from Morro Bay, Cayucas, to Pismo, to Avila, uh, that's our main hub, and we also operate up in Santa Cruz, California, up north a little bit. And uh, we've been all over, so we've done programs in Florida, we've done them in Huntington Beach, California, and we've done them over in England, uh, Cornwall, mm. England. Um, so, you know, we'd like to be everywhere, but uh, for now, the main kind of hubs are San Luis Obispo and Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And how often do you run these camps? We, uh, right now, uh, we're running... It's, it's a little bit seasonal. So instead of like a every other month or every month, it, we kind of do more in the fall. Um, we run a local program during the summertime, which is a three month program for local veterans and which is a whole nother mm. topic. Um, but in the springtime, we've got uh, a couple going on. So, I mean, it really depends, but usually every month we've either got a program or a fundraiser or something happening. And you were recently in Hawaii. Yes, yes. So, uh, yes, also Hawaii. I forgot we operate in Hawaii. Um, so we ran a couple programs over in Kauai, and that was an amazing collaboration with another organization called Operation Healing Forces. And we mm -hmm. serve uh, special operation forces and their spouses. So that was a couples program, um, which we also run is spouse programs with the, with the spouse. So we did two back. Oh, January. so let's talk about the spouse program for a quick second too, because I think that that's really important. You have, if you have the individual half of the relationship show up for this incredible experience and then go home, the, the spouse that wasn't involved doesn't necessarily have a tangible, um, way to understand what really happened and what breakthroughs might have happened. Yes. Yep, exactly. So uh, couple, a couple of our programs are designed to be couples programs. So yes, the spouse mm -hmm. comes and they get to, you know, experience reprieve, relaxation. They get to connect with their couple. The focus is different. Instead of connecting as a large group, it's to host an environment where the couples get to connect with each other. And the spouses get to connect with, you know, other spouses who have been through it. Um, but those are, I love those because I get to take the women on a women's day and just kind of give them some different tools, things that have helped me in my healing journey and, mm. and just get to watch them go, you know what, you don't have to worry about cooking. You don't have to worry about cleaning. You don't have to worry about laundry. Like you don't have to make any decisions while you're here. You get to just show up and we'll take care of the rest in that alone is a huge just breath for them because it's usually the spouse that is carrying the weight of everything the home mm. the trauma the I mean it's the spouse is the rock and if you can support that then you are right directly supporting the veteran I was wondering that too how much responsibility of day-to-day -day life and just creating a either a safe environment for the the veterans and what the responsibilities of the spouse or the family members that are home to try to provide hope or try to stimulate that hope process mm -hmm. and to without necessarily the tools that are needed yeah 
yeah. because there there's not a lot of there well i don't know this i'm assuming that there are not a lot of resources for spouses in this environment is that correct correct yes yeah mm-hmm. well, and and the resources i think that are available are not maybe exactly what is needed you know it's not as um they need joy. They need fun. They need relaxation. Mm-hmm. They need to be reminded how important they are. And they need to remind, be reminded that even though you're not in the shoes of your, you know, active duty or veteran, like you mm-hmm. are just as important. So mm-hmm. it's, it's critical. Yeah. And for the spouse to be able to see the, mm-hmm. the transformation that happens. Yes. Yes. That is huge. Yeah. They get to see their, their spouse smile, relax, do something, you know, it's, they get to see a lot of them had said, like, I'm seeing my husband and I'm reminded why, you know, I married them and why, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the joy in them again that I haven't seen in a long time. I haven't seen him smile this much in so long. And, you know, and it finally, we can do something together. That's fun. And, you know, it's definitely a, um, it's, and then on, on the other hand, you know, the, the military individual, whether mm-hmm. it's male or female, they get to see their spouse, you know, having fun and in mm-hmm. doing something and enjoying themselves. I mean, it's both ways that they get to see each other in a, in that kind of beautiful light. Mm. And so how do, how do veterans sign up or how do you find the veterans to participate? How does that process work? Um, so we have a, it's kind of a complicated, a long, a lot of different ways. Um, in, we work with a couple different groups. Um, so one hospital we work with is the San Antonio Brook Army Medical Center. Um, so when we work with them, we work with the recreational therapist and they kind of fill the spots. We say we have this many spots and they fill it. Um, if we're working with um, like a specific building or unit, they will internally will say we have this many spots and they will fill it with who they think best fits those spots. Um, mm-hmm. If we have an open application process, then um, usually we have, we have so many applications um, come in every time. I wish this is where I wish I could like talk to a billionaire and say, we have, you know, 80 applications and four spots and all these applications deserve it. And every single person could benefit from this. Can you help us to 80 programs so we can, <laughs> can serve everybody? Um, but when we do an application process, it's usually a window. We open it up and then we close it and we go through an entire selection process, which is a huge, a huge ordeal. Um mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of people hear about us or have word of mouth or they, an alumni recommends them to apply. Um, you know, we really don't have to do any advertising for participants to apply. It's, it's the opposite. We need money so we can serve all the people who apply. Um, and yeah, that's how we, how we get our crew. Amazing. And so how do you find the people that are, what types of people are on your crew and how are they working? How do you find them or what are you looking for, for people to support the programs? Yeah. Um, so that's a good question. Uh, culture is really important to us. Um, mm-hmm. what I would say, I would, to explain the culture within our office and within our kind of crew, I would call it family. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Van and I, as a married couple, like having, you know, it kind of starts with us really. Like we have to go in and if we're not aligned, then everything is out of whack, but we really create a family feel. We care for each other. Uh, you know, it's important that our crew is actively, you know, working on themselves. Like, are you focused on, 
you know, healing? Are you looking at the different parts of your life you don't like and, and addressing it? Vulnerability, don't shy away from from your faults or don't shy away from your challenges. And, you know, we are not here to be perfect. We are here to be, you know, help each other grow. So that's kind of the atmosphere, um, you know, kindness, helping, wanting to be of service and giving back. That's an important aspect of our of the people who come in. And usually that's who we attract, our volunteers, our board members are all people who want to help, want to give back. Like they've got the mission first in mind um, and leaving your ego at the door and wanting to just help change a life. Um, that I would say is the most important Um and yeah, yeah, that's kind of who we attract. <laughs> this has been amazing. And your, your vision and Van's vision and what you do to help people that have served us and to be of service to them is absolutely incredible. And if people want to know more, if they want to donate or they know somebody and know somebody with a foundation or they want to connect you with the larger donations or even send a smaller one themselves, where do they find you? Operationsurf.org is the fastest mm -hmm. way to get connected to us. Um, there's a little tab on there that says donate or get connected. Those emails go straight to my inbox so you can reach out um, and get connected. If you want to learn more about us, obviously the website's a great place to look. Um, but we do have a documentary on Netflix called Resurface, and it's a short documentary. It's only about like 30 minutes, but it gives a really good kind of inside view of what we do mm -hmm. and hearing the stories from the men and women we serve. So it's um, you kind of feel like you're there. Uh, they did an amazing job. The guys that did it did an amazing job. So that's a fast way to to feel like you're in it. And then obviously our social media, Instagram and Facebook, we post a lot there. Kind of instant what's happening now. What are we doing? You can see where we're at um, and get, get a feel for it. So, yeah. Wonderful. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing. And thank you for everything that you and Van and your crew do to make a difference. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Getting the word out like this is also a huge part of it. So thanks for being a part of the outcome. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. Today's show is sponsored by my Seaside Solutions, my financial services company. As a business owner, it's easy to be pulled in many different directions and often taking care of yourself plummets to the bottom of the list. For me, I find myself outside to reground. My time outdoors helps me manage my day more effectively and be more present for my clients. Through this, Discover Rising Tides was born. At Seaside Solutions, we truly believe that education is the foundation of financial wellness. Our primary focus is to provide guidance that is designed to help you achieve your long-term financial goals and visions. Working with a plan allows space for doing more things that you love, like being outside to make the inside better. If I can help you create or realign your plan, or if you would like to be added to my weekly newsletter, please let me know. This week's topic was five ways to set more achievable goals. Your referral means the big, beautiful world to me. And if I can help, please let me know. And thank you so much for listening and see you next time.